Why is it that Jesus talks so much about money? What is it that he wants? What is it that God wants with our money? And why does it matter? We're going to be talking about that today on the Tower Hill Podcast. Hey, everyone, welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church. This is Pastor Jason. Can you believe that we are already like midway through November? Thanksgiving is next week. I can't even believe it. If you're listening in real time, I'm sure you are feeling what I'm feeling. And it's like, man, where did the first couple of months of fall go? Uh, It's incredible. Time just is speeding up, I swear. Anyway, we are in this campaign, this church campaign called Be Rich. And it has been so awesome so far. We, we're we having a great time because this is a campaign truly of generosity for our community. You know, the last couple of years in the life of our church here um, have been a lot about fundraising and doing things around the church to improve our facilities, which needed to be improved, creating a really great children's space and a space for teenagers and renovate the sanctuary to accommodate two different styles of worship. We've been really busy. But it feels like a lot of our financial asking has all been about us. Even though it's obviously about mission, there's something still that felt like it was an internal thing and not an external thing. What I love about this campaign is every single dollar, every box of food, everything that we do is going right out the door to people who need it. And I love that. I absolutely love that. And I know you do too, because I've heard from a lot of you about how much you're enjoying this so far. And uh, again, if you're listening in real time, this coming Sunday, the 19th, is the last Sunday of the campaign uh, for you to give your $39.95. And we're going to give that money away right before Thanksgiving to one of our local mission partners. So That is happening really soon, and if you want to contribute, just make sure that you send in your check, and in the memo, put Be Rich. You can also give electronically. All those things are on our website, towerhillchurch.org, if you're interested in participating. I can't wait to see uh, the look on our mission partner's face when they get that extra gift that they were not expecting. Um, But it's been great. It's been great, too, because really the Be Rich sermon series is about stewardship. It's about, you know, what does God want for us when it comes to our money? We know that Jesus taught about money more than he taught about any other subject. And what is it about our relationship with money that competes with our relationship with God? And what does it mean for my giving to the church? And that's the thing that, honestly, I struggle with as a pastor. Because maybe I'm just uh, cynical or skeptical, or maybe both, but I always thought that stewardship sermons that were talking about giving to the church seemed very self-serving. I don't want to be that kind of a pastor where it seems like I'm telling the congregation they need to give because God wants them to give, and conveniently that means you're giving to my church, which, by the way, pays my salary, and... I just, uh, that line is so clear for me, and I just don't want to go across it. 
So this is a really wonderful opportunity for me to give a stewardship series of messages. And I feel a sense of freedom about it because the ask isn't for the church. It's it's for the Be Rich campaign that's going to go out to the community. So it's been really good for me. It really has. I don't know. Um, maybe that's too much information, but I think it's good to know what your what your pastor thinks about and struggles with as far as what topics to preach on and and how to deliver it. So anyway, I hope that um, I hope you get a lot out of this one. This is a good one. It's talking about uh, tithing, percentage giving. Don't turn it off just yet. I think it may surprise you what I'm going to say. So uh, anyway, have a great week, everyone. And again, let's hope that God helps us all to learn how to be rich. So we're drilling down in this idea of be rich from 1 Timothy 6. So if you missed last week, I just want to bring you up to speed. Congratulations, you're rich. <laughs> just want to put that out there. Again, if you make more total household income, if you make more than $48,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. You are rich. Maybe that changes a few things. Oh, honey, I had no idea we were rich. The other thing is wealth has some side effects. Wealth has some side effects. You see this in the way that we live in America. I mean, we're all so much richer than we realize, but it has side effects. The first is denial, but we don't think we're rich. Somebody else is rich, right? I know know lots of rich people, but I'm not rich. Or discontentment. I think this is huge. You know this. You feel this one in your gut, that wealth creates a discontentment for what you have, Because you're always looking to upgrade to something more, something better. Bigger, better, nicer. House, everything. Car, phone, relationships, everything. There's got to be something better around the corner. So I'm just going to upgrade. And then around that next upgrade, around over that hill, then finally I'm going to be happy. And it doesn't work. And the danger is you can live a whole life of discontentment and still say you love Jesus. That shouldn't be. That's not what God wants for us. Now, the remedy is to make sure that we are putting our hope in the right thing, that our hope isn't in our riches, that our hope is in God. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, is what we talked about last week. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Again, it's, it's the difference between putting your hope in riches and putting your hope in the one who richly provides. Putting your hope in your wealth is going to take you where you need to go in your life or the one who's already given us more than we could ever ask or imagine. For every Christian, I would think we all at least spiritually speaking, we want to say yes to, I, yes, I put my hope in the open hand, in the one who richly provides. I'm open-handed with my faith, with my life. But I don't know, something happens. Our hope tends to migrate. Even what, despite what we say we believe, our hope tends to migrate. We start hoping in what it is that we have to give us the security, to give us the kind of lifestyle, to give us whatever we think it's going to get us instead of God. And we all start living like functional atheists, right? We say we believe in God, but our lives don't really reflect that that's where our hope lies. 
Billy Graham just turned 99. 99. Billy Graham, he's the man. He is the man. Uh, Billy Graham used to say, show me your checkbook and I'll show you your heart. Right? The idea that uh, what it is that you're really putting your hope in. Putting hope in your riches or putting your hope in the one who richly provides. And the thing is, it doesn't seem to matter whether we feel like we have a little bit of money or a lot of money. The problem's the same when we keep thinking about money. Right? That we're not trusting in God to either provide or to save what it is that we have. Because here's the truth. Only God can fill us with hope and joy and peace and fullness and shalom. That only comes from God. That will not come. I'm just here to say there's not a few things I can say that I know for sure, but this is one of them. Your hope and everything else beside God is going to fail you. It will eventually fail you. God wants you to put your hope in what never fails himself. So how do we make sure that our hope doesn't migrate from hope in the one who provides to that? How do we make sure we do that? There are some remedies. There are some ways that we can protect ourselves from letting our hope migrate. Let's go back to that 1 Timothy 6. We're going to go to verse 18 today. This is what Paul tells Timothy to tell the rich people. And remember, we've changed that definition, so unfortunately it includes us. Tell those rich people, command those, command them to do good. All right. But think about that. Not command them to be good. Not command them to think good things. Command them to do good. Do something with all that they have been given. Command them to do good. He continues, to be rich in good deeds. In other words, not just good like every other follower of Jesus is supposed to be, but above and beyond that, they are to be rich in their good deeds. Those who are rich need to be rich in their good deeds. There's no complicated uh, scriptural unpacking for you on that. It literally is what it says. But see, this is the problem with rich people. Rich people like you and I have no time. Remember the busy calendar we showed back in the summer? This is a rich people problem. Trust me, the poor people have plenty of time. I don't ask the homeless guy when he could fit me into his schedule. This is a rich people problem. We have so many options. So many things to do with life. And then what happens, I don't know if this happens to you, this happens to me. Somebody comes to me, hey, pastor, I got this great idea. I got this great cause. I've got this great uh, ministry opportunity that I want you and your church to consider. And I think to myself, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's, That's great. That sounds good. But I'm sorry, I just don't have the time. I don't have any room in this schedule to do that wonderful ministry thing. Because none of us have time. We're all busy. But I don't know. Let's start doing some simple math. So let's say that you work 60 hours a week and you sleep eight hours a night. Yeah, right. But let's just say eight hours a night. You have 52 extra hours a week. 
52 hours a week. But we don't have any time. 52 hours a week. You might not feel like you have a lot of time. But what are you doing with all that extra time? Listen, I know what I'm doing. I am binging that thing hard. By the way, I finished it a while ago. <laughs> but what are you doing with all that extra time? Now listen, we all need veg out time. Is that a California thing to veg out? Is that a California, or is, is that an East Coast thing too? Okay. I said it this morning and everyone's looking at me like, yeah, I don't, not so much. Maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know. To veg out. Like we all need veg out time. We do. I think it's, it's important for self-care. We need that time we can just like shut her down. And for you, it could be doing a Sudoku in the paper. It could be, uh, you know, watching, watching stuff on Netflix. It, whatever it is, that time's important. But not 52 hours of it. Not 52 hours of it. Now listen, even if you factor in all your, uh, you know, time with your, with your family, all the other different things that you do, it's kind of hard to say that, yep, all those 52 hours, I, I can't find the room in my schedule to say yes to some things that God might want me to say yes to. Because here's the truth. When you have extra of something, you have a tendency to waste it. This is true with our time. There are a lot of things that maybe the Lord wants you to do. They don't take a whole lot of time, but some. But you and I might sit there and be like, you know what? I'd much rather just like sit and continue the veg. I'd much rather just go do this. I'd much rather just whatever. So this is why, I mean, incidentally, this is like such a big part of the Christian life. It's We are supposed to serve so that God can bring meaning to the extra in our lives. Think about it. What does God want us to do? He wants to take what we have and he wants to multiply it. He wants to multiply your joy. He wants to multiply your peace, your sense of meaning, your sense of purpose. He wants that to multiply, to flourish in you. But that requires saying yes to some things you might not otherwise say yes to. By the way, that's like my biggest barometer of, because people, this most common question I get, how do you know when you hear God? Here's my number one way. It's usually something I don't want to do. I'm like, yeah, that's got to be God. Because <laughs> I don't want to do it. I got one more episode to watch. Maybe that's just me. But this is why, as a church, we have so many opportunities to serve. Because we are supposed to be rich in our good deeds toward God. I mean, that's what it means to be a Christian. We care for people. We care for the least, the last, and the lost. We care for those people in our community. We do support missions that support them. But at the same time, the giving does something to us. That's the thing. When we start giving... It does something to us. You know this. You go serve at different places or volunteer different places. And what happens? You feel good. It's almost like God wired us that way. That if we serve one another, what happens? You start forgetting about yourself for a while. 
You're thinking about somebody else, somebody else's needs. And then what happens? You start feeling rich with what you have. No matter how much that is, you start feeling thankful. Something happens to your heart when you start giving. You see, this is why God wants us to give. And this is why we provide tons of service opportunities here. Go to our website. I mean, you can, go, you can find mission opportunities to support, volunteer opportunities. I mean, listen, not for nothing, but in the church, we should never have to ask for volunteers. Like, we, we shouldn't. And that's not, I'm not, you know, it's not a guilt thing or anything. But I'm just saying, we should never have to because that's part of what we do as followers of Jesus. We serve, we give, we love. Generosity is as much about you as it is about the people that we serve. You know, um, every year I, I am a part of group mission trips. They run mission trips for teenagers. Our kids go on that trip as well from our church. And I've just, I've done it forever. Uh, it's how I met Karen on one of those mission trips. We were both on staff uh, for, in Altoona, Pennsylvania. I look over here because I know I've got some Altoona folks. Uh, where all true love begins. Altoona, Pennsylvania. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's a big part of my life. But the thing is, these teenagers go on this mission trip. They go outside of their communities. I get that too about the trip. Why can't they just stay in the community? There's plenty of people who have things that they need here. I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand. The transformation happens when you leave your world and you immerse yourself in someone else's world. Something happens to your heart. You know, the number one goal of these mission trips is not to do the building. The number one goal is for the teenagers to experience transformation of the heart. Because see, that's what giving does to you and I. It changes us. It makes us more generous. It makes us more loving. It makes us more thankful. And that's the remedy to the side effects of wealth. We start feeling thankful no matter how much we make. Because we realize how much we have been richly blessed. And we put our hope in the provider. Let's keep going with that verse 18. Tell them to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Interestingly, there are two Greek words being used there for generous and share that are about the same meaning. And whenever this happens in Scripture... Uh, that's the giveaway that you're supposed to pay extra attention to the idea. So repetition is a way. And this is a very Jewish idea of using the repetition in the Hebrew to make a point really with emphasis. This is the real big emphasis of this verse is all of us who have been richly blessed, we should be generous and open-handed with all that we have been blessed with because that does something to us. But it's interesting, in a lot of the churches that I've gone to, and um, it doesn't always seem like the, the rich are the most generous. Like maybe they, they give bigger sums, but they're not the most generous as far as their giving and their sacrifice of that giving. Now, just to put you at ease, I don't make it my business to know what everybody gives. So you're good. Because I just don't want that entering my head when I talk to somebody. Uh, but the truth is, in a lot of churches, it's the people who make like that, the median income tend to give a larger percentage of their money. They are more generous. 
with their money. Jesus talks about this in a very famous illustration he gave to his disciples. So he took his disciples, and uh, in Mark 12, we see what he does with them. He says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So that's, I mean, that's kind of a weird assignment, right? All right, disciples, come on, come on. we're going to go watch everyone put their money in. Like, that's not creepy at all, Jesus. Sounds good. So there are people watching. They're watching people put their money in the treasury. And they notice some things. Many rich people threw in large amounts. How did they know they were throwing in large amounts? Right? You wouldn't know unless they were making a big deal out of it. Look at this amount I'm putting in. (laughs) Yes, everybody. Come, lovey. We have more to put in. They were making a big deal about the amounts that they were giving. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And then I feel Jesus pivoting to us and saying, you all should give like that. I feel him doing that to me. I feel Jesus doing that to me. You should give like that. The thing is, we don't usually give that way. We don't usually give sacrificially. We give, at least my generation gives, emotionally. Right? We need to be moved. And listen, it's not totally our fault. We've been conditioned to be this way. I remember growing up in the 80s. Sally Struthers. Sally Struthers up there. I think we got a picture. You remember those commercials? She'd get on there and she had to feed the children, Christian children's fund, and they get these kids up there. And it was like so sad and depressing. But she knew, they knew, that if you put the kids in front of them, then you're more likely to give. They were pulling on your heartstrings, man. Or remember, USA for Africa. We are the world. Big 1980. We are the world. We are the children. Right? USA for Africa. We want to we pull on your heartstrings. We want you to love this song so that you give. Or even, you know, we're coming up on Christmas time. You're all going to hear the Band-Aid classic, Feed the World. Which, by the way, that lyric in that song drives me nuts. There won't be snow in Africa this Christmas time. As if snowing in Africa had to do with them being hungry. Like if we feed them, it's going to snow in Africa and they'll have Christmas. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> You're right, no snow, better give. But they're trying to pull on your heartstrings. We've been conditioned to give this way. And the thing is, when we give this way, it's usually out of not what we're sacrificing. It's whatever we have like in our pockets, left over. They say, yeah, pastor, well, what does the Bible say? And everyone's really afraid of this one. Of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is an Old Testament uh, idea that was like, hey, I'm going to acknowledge that everything God richly provides me with, I'm going to set aside 
one-tenth. And that's where we get the 10% from the Old Testament. 10% goes into the treasury. 10%. Mike, one of the most awkward conversations is when you start talking to people honestly about the 10%. Is that gross or net? Is that like, what about, like, how do I, is there any like room? Can I just wiggle around that? Listen, I think getting hung up on the 10% is an adventure in missing the point. The point of the 10% is that I am going to pre-decide what I'm going to give to God. So it's not based on my emotions that are like all over the place. And if I'm having a good day and an extra 20 in my pocket, then I'll give to God. But it's saying ahead of time, this is how much me and my family, this is how much we're going to give to God as a way of honoring him, of giving him, of being rich in good deeds, rich in generosity, and helping to move the needle on what God wants to do in my church, in my community. Percentage giving is about pre-deciding. And that's why I think percentage giving is powerful. It's about deciding ahead of time what you're going to dedicate to God. This is why I give is because the giving does something to me, but then, then it gets to be freed up to be used by God's mission for what God wants done in the community, in the world, that I join with what God is doing, join God's mission. Because God's mission and God's ministry require some funding. They require some backing. I give to make that happen in my local community. I'll give you an example of just what this looks like with real people. So uh, I spent almost 10 years as a youth pastor just outside of Philadelphia before I went to seminary. And we had a really fun, amazing group of uh, teenagers. And uh, they, that experience just made me fall in love with uh, ministry to teenagers that I'll just always have, always care about. And uh, I remember a, a lot, so a lot of those kids, kids now, they're all 30. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> so many, I did many of their weddings. Last weekend, not this weekend, but last weekend, we went down to Baltimore to go to one of, one of the weddings of these kids from youth group. And kids, I'm, I say kids, they're 30 and married. So I, I go, go back and um, one of the guests was a, uh, a kid who was in youth group at the time, but we, I hadn't spoken to her since youth group days. So it was 2006. She went off to college and I went to seminary. So I never really saw her. Got to reconnect with her and her husband. And we were hanging out. And as we were leaving, she gets ready. I say, you know, saying your goodbyes to everyone. And um, she gets up and she said, you know, I didn't, I don't want this to be awkward, but I need to tell you something. I'm like, okay. She says, when I was, when I was a kid, you said something to me that changed my life. She said, I always thought that I was a Christian because, you know, I went to church and my parents went to church and that's just something that we did. And then you told me that in order to follow Jesus, I had to decide to follow Jesus. And she said that that changed my life when you told me that I had to decide. And she said, every time I tell my faith story now, you're a part of it because you're the one who helped me see that I had to decide to follow Jesus. She tells me this, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, 
I'm a mess. Just I was so moved by something I don't remember ever saying. Now, here's where this comes back to the reason why I give. My church decided, they pre-decided that they were going to give so that they could fund a youth director position in their church. Then I got hired and was paid by the church to do that job. To be in that place at that time to say that sentence to that particular kid and it changed her life. I, that, we would not have been together had it not been for the financial giving of the church. That would not have happened. And to her point, there is power in deciding. I decide I'm going to be generous. There's power in that. There's power in that. I decide I'm going to be more open-handed with what I have. Not because God wants something from me, right? That's not it. It's because of what it's doing to me. And so I give to participate in God's mission in my church, in my community. So where do you get started? I want to give you a few ideas on how to get started because I think this is where we all struggle, right? We're like, okay, did I hear 10%? Is that what he said, 10%? All right, well, good sermon, Pastor. We'll catch you next week. Here's just a few ideas to get started that I think might help. Pick a percentage. Don't, let, don't get hung up on the 10%. Don't get hung up on that because you won't do it. Pick a percentage of money and time and pre-decide how you're going to give it. Also, pick a couple of areas and follow your money there. Listen, you're giving... 10% comes off the top of what you put in the plate. It goes to our mission partners. Lunch break, Habcor. You know, go and volunteer in those organizations to see where we're giving money to. That would be a great place to start. They always need volunteers. We always need things. Uh, they always need things for us to do. Pick a couple of areas. Or church volunteer needs. We always have volunteer needs. Help us out. Get involved. It's not a lifetime commitment or a life sentence when you say yes to something. I know, I know. That's what churches are like. Raise your hand to go to the bathroom and you're in charge. I know. (laughs) But the thing is, once you decide to be generous, it will change you. And that's what God is after. It's not that God wants something from you, but something for you. You will start being rich with what you have. 